Hello and welcome everyone to the North Davis Podcast, where we have conversations about faith in Jesus, what's going on in our lives, the world around us, and how those things all interact. I'm your host and friendly neighborhood youth minister, Chris. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the ND Podcast. Chris here bringing you the introduction to episode 9. We got Sarah in the studio, my wife, to have a discussion about everybody's favorite topic, politics. Now, before you turn off the episode because you're sick and tired of getting politics in your news feed, in your podcast feed, and in your Facebook feed, trust that we are aiming to depolarize the issue. So what we're specifically thinking about today is voting and participating in the political system of the country you live in as a Christian person. Uh, We have two different opinions on the topic, and we knew that going into our marriage, and we continue to disagree about what the best response is to the political system of our day. Uh, But we have a good conversation about why we have those different opinions uh, and what we think we can do uh, to better the system around us uh, for the people who Jesus cared about, the the marginalized uh, and the uncared for and the the people that scripture commands us to look after. So uh, we are not going to talk about specific candidates. We are not going to talk about political parties. Um, We're we're really not caring too much about getting into specifics, but rather trying to have a conversation about principles uh, and beliefs that we stand on that lead us to the conclusions that we do have. Uh, And I really do think it's a a worthy conversation to have, especially in an era uh, of such extreme uh, polarization. So hope you'll enjoy this episode, uh, episode nine with Sarah and I. Hey, North Davis, welcome to the Indie Pod. This is episode nine, and we are doing another round uh, of what we'd like to call depolarize. So you may remember that Brett and I did an episode Uh, maybe episode five or so, honestly, I do not remember, where we talked about worship and we talked about different styles of worship, love for contemporary Christian music versus hymns and things like that, uh, and just approaching the topic from two different angles and thinking through um, how do we balance our preferences versus our theological convictions on different topics as Christ followers. And so uh, in the same spirit, in the same depolarizing effort, right, the, the idea that we could take a topic that we have people who love Jesus, love the Lord, love others, but might have different convictions about a certain topic. Uh, So in the same way, we wanted to tackle um, political involvement today. And so here's what we're not going to do with uh, Sarah, who is my guest today, my wife. Uh, The beautiful Sarah is off today because she teaches at Grace, and it's a Tuesday that we're recording. Uh, We're going to talk about political involvement. We're not going to talk about particular candidates. We're not going to talk about how we vote or, uh, in my case, don't vote, as I tip my hat a little bit, uh, show my hand a little bit about my political involvement. Um, We're we're not trying to pick on any particular group or party or candidate. Uh, Rather, we want to talk about what does it mean to be followers of Jesus in the modern world as it relates to politics and how two people who love Jesus uh, and are married and live together are able to have serious conversations about different ways of engaging in the political sphere uh, and still standing by their Christian convictions and and, and living, uh, I think, pretty compatibly considering uh, we've been married now six years, uh, doing well so far. So without any further ado, here is Sarah. Welcome to the studio slash my office. I've been here before. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's a familiar environment. Yeah, looks familiar. So um, let's just kind of lay out our positions broadly speaking, up front. Uh, The reason I thought this would be an interesting conversation to have with you is because, as we've talked many times, both while we were dating and uh, now as husband-wife, you and I have very different approaches and beliefs about the way that a Christian person should engage in uh, the political system. And that obviously applies to voting, but not exclusively, right? So um, I am a uh, something of a Lipscombite, uh, David Lipscomb, Right, was deeply formed by the 
civil war and the thought that Christians were killing each other on two sides of this conflict uh, was deeply troubling to him. And, and he saw the way that that divided his church and divided the country uh, and, and found that deeply disturbing. And so his kind of view was that Christians should only concern themselves with the kingdom of God and, and no uh, worldly kingdoms. And, and that thought, among others along the same lines, has meant a lot to me. Uh, and I tend to land there. Uh, as far as uh, voting and political involvement, et cetera. Um, but that's not the only legitimate view as a Christian person. You have a very different take uh, and, and a very different background and upbringing. So uh, share a little bit about um, kind of where you're at, broadly speaking. Give us the 30,000-foot um, Our objectives are the same. We want to serve the community. And and I think it's worth saying, too, and, and, and you know this, listeners, that uh, Scripture does not speak to voting. Right. There is no democracy mm-hmm. in the ancient world. Uh, that is obviously a more recent concept. Um, there is no democracy even in the early church. Right. The uh, the early church fathers often even would cast lots and trust that God uh, would influence the outcome of uh, chance and throwing of die. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how they selected Judas's replacement. And so, yeah, the concept of voting is a more modern one. Uh, And so it's not with any certainty that we can pull passages of Scripture and say the absolute correct response uh, with beyond the shadow of a doubt for a Christian in a democracy is to vote or to not vote. I I think I think we would be um, reaching too far to Mm -hmm. make that claim. So uh, I think it's worth saying, you know, that again, our objectives are the same. We want to bless our communities. We want to help teenagers and young people. Um, live their best possible lives and, and all that stuff. Uh, we just kind of go about it and, and with different convictions on on this particular topic. Uh, one of the things that you were involved in in college, which I thought was worth bringing up in this conversation, was your status as a Jack Pope Fellow. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a program you were involved in. It came with some scholarship money, um, but I don't know a whole lot about it other than it um, made you take classes that amounted to a, a minor. Remind me. What public, service. public service public service minor. okay so talk a little bit about that program uh, was it something you were interested in because of the scholarship or because of the public service minor how did you get involved in that and what was its connection to this topic yeah so several elements the reason you don't know a lot about it is because we were long distance engaged while i was doing it so you just you know heard about it afterwards but that's true um the Jack Pope Fellowship Program has been around AC for a long time. My dad was actually a part of it, um, which I didn't know until after I started the application process. I heard about AC because I was a technically a history major, even though I was education. Um, my actual kind of department was the history because it was social studies. Um, and so that would be included. It's all kind of in the same college. They're all in the same building. Um, so I heard it advertised and then spoke with a couple other students who were participants in it as well. And so, yes, definitely the scholarship was appealing um, because AC is expensive. But the really awesome aspect of it is that it does require you to have a minor in public service that actually a lot of those minor classes already coincided with what was required for my major so it didn't add a ton Um, but they also provided all these really unique opportunities to meet different people in public service so we would have different events and we would meet um, all sorts of different people whether it be political candidates or um, people in local office or lawyers who are working um, for the public good just different things like that so having the opportunity to meet those people it also included a unique opportunity to spend a week at city square in the summer so we all went and stayed Um, if you're not familiar with city square it's a program that originated with acu i think it's since separated it's its own entity now but they work with um people living in poverty in kind of inner city Dallas and working on kind of grassroots, getting people out of poverty, different things like that. It has lots of different um, aspects and sides to it, but we got to just kind of walk alongside the people working there as a nonprofit and talk about what it means um, for Christians to be involved in policy. And that honestly is where a lot of my conviction stems from, because I believe that um, in addition to helping the poor through the church and being the hands and feet of Jesus in the church, there is a role that we can play in improving um, life for our most vulnerable communities and our most vulnerable populations. And that is through public policy. Um, And so knowing about those, those things and knowing how they can impact people who really need help, I think is really important. Um, So that was a really unique opportunity. I really enjoyed it. I made great friends through it who I still keep in touch with. Um, A lot of them were in the debate community as well, which is, you know, also part of my background. So Jack Pope Fellowship, if you're going to ACU, check it out. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. One of the, you know, I I dabble in philosophy and I I find it really interesting to think about thinking and and doing the work of metacognition. 
um, analyzing what we know, what we think we know, and, and how do we know these things. Um, and so in my dabbling, I uh, took a couple courses at, at college uh, in undergrad in philosophy and, and continue to uh, read here and there and, and try and stay somewhat involved in the conversation. All that to say, one of the things that I have found particularly interesting as it relates to this topic is the way that postmodernity analyzes power structures, uh, which of course would include um, any system of, of government, even a democracy, right? Which I think we would both agree, um, even with its flaws, it's probably the best kind of system we have, right? Uh, that the people get to participate somehow, uh, in this case in a republic, right? Where, where we elect representatives that, that make decisions on our behalf. Um, so the postmodern critique, and I'd like you to respond to this, the postmodern critique largely of power systems is just the idea that if all systems are ultimately about the um, attaining of and then the retaining of power, um, then all systems like that are to be inherently um, distrusted because if the objective is to get power and then hold on to it for ourselves, whoever is in power, uh, and I think that's how I see a lot of the conversation happening in, in our country is, you know, p put this person in power because they can protect you from the bad people uh, and then, you know, let us keep the power. So because if they have the power, it's going to be bad. Right. That, that seems to be the ultimate boiling down of all the rhetoric. Um, so if, if there's any truth to that postmodern critique that, that power structures like that are ultimately uh, just becoming self-serving, respond to that as somebody who thinks, you know, we should participate in, in, in concerning about public policy and things like that. Like, what is your response to that kind of postmodern Christian amateur philosophy critique that I tend to find fairly convincing? Yeah, so the idea that the system exists to keep itself running, um, I don't disagree with that. I think we see a lot of evidence with that, and I think that's exactly why we see corruption. Um, also, we see corruption because we are sinful humans, and so anytime humans have power, that corruption is going to come with, with that power. Um, so I think my response would be yes, but the alternative doesn't seem that much better. I'm not sure how not participating in the system would do anything different. And in fact, I think democracy is maybe the one of the best ways we can include a fail-safe in that if we do have somebody um, who is abusing the system, we have ways to get them out of power, things like that. And that, you know, that has a whole lot of different um, connotations and different ways we can do that. The easiest being that's the beauty of voting, right? Like you have whatever the term limits are depending on the position. Um, and then there's a chance to get somebody else in there who, you know, you feel like is doing a better job. Sure. Um, so democracy in and of itself is important because it's not an enduring, unenduring power, right? Like it's um, your, hang on, let me rephrase that. Democracy has limitations, right? And so that that is important, and that's a theoretically, that's a, yeah. theoretically <laughs> yes, that's a fail safe um, within the system. And so I, I would make the same argument with any human system that's flawed, right? Like public school, I taught public school for years, and public school is a hugely flawed system. There's lots of problems, lots of challenges. Um, it doesn't mean that you don't send your kids to public school at all. I mean, some families make that choice, but sure, um, sure. And you definitely can. That's totally a valid choice. But so as a public education system teacher, it didn't mean, oh, I don't like the system, so I'm not going to get up and go to work tomorrow because mm -hmm. my kids are still mm -hmm. going to be there. My students are still going to be there. So in the same sense, um, whether or not you like the system, it exists and it affects all of us. Hello. I don't know if the microphones are picking it up or not, but that's my phone ringing. So forgive us as I let that go to voicemail. Wait. Um. Yeah, so the system exists whether or not you like it. So you may as well participate in the hopes of improving it and making it a little bit better, mm -hmm. um, even if those are small. And I think that's why we need to pay more attention to local politics as well, um, because a lot of times that yeah, is what affects point. people more directly. Right. Um, you know, public policy on a, on a major scale definitely has a trickle-down effect and definitely impacts our daily lives, um, but so does local politics and so does local policy and what's going on. And so... Um, that's why I mentioned City Square again, like knowing what's going on in your community specifically and knowing how you can have a direct impact on that um, is so important. So to summarize, the system exists. You may as well participate in it because it's not going away just because you don't participate. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's say I buy that. I, I think one of the things as a person that um, 
avoids participating because of my religious convictions. Um, one of the things that turns me off about participating is the way in which people, just broadly speaking, both my Christian brothers and sisters and um, my non-religious uh, friends, the way in which politics has sometimes become such an idol, uh, become such a um, frustrating and divisive and ugly uh, arena for conversation. Um, how do you, as a as a person of faith, what is your strategy or strategies for participating and being informed and being involved without letting it become um, the thing in which all your eggs, mm -hmm. uh, the basket in which all your eggs sit, right? How do you how do you balance um, participate for the sake of the other, for the sake of other people, and helping to create the best policy by trying to elect best people, et cetera, without it becoming uh, something that destabilizes you personally mm -hmm. when it doesn't go your way, for example, um, or, um, or even when it is, right? Whether your team or your vote or your proposition or whatever uh, passes or doesn't. Uh, how, do you, how do you keep that from becoming so... Um, much a part of your identity that it really, you know, affects your whole, you know, could be a four year or eight year time frame, could be a, you know, a bad month because, you know, whatever you wanted to support didn't pass or, you know, whatever it is, we've seen the way people uh, can be so heavily uh, invested that it affects them negatively. Um, and certainly different people have different reasons, uh, some more valid than others, to be upset about different policies, candidates, etc. And so I don't want to just say that it's never worth being upset about certain laws passing or not passing or, or what have you. Um, but I, I think you understand yeah. the question, yeah. you know, how do you, how do you keep from um, believing that the government being run the correct way is the most important thing to be concerned with as it relates to me flourishing, my family flourishing, my community flourishing. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of thoughts in response to that. Um, <laughs> So the first and foremost thing coming to mind is, I, I don't remember exactly what it was that you said, but um, effectively what you're describing is where is your faith? Asking where is your faith, right? Is your faith in government and in policy and in procedure or is it in um, God and in the knowledge that every human that's been created is made in his image and is beloved by him? Um, and so my faith is in the latter. And if I um, am putting my emotional dependence and my mental health and well-being on human systems, like we talked about, like they're going to fail, they're going to disappoint. And so constantly reminding yourself, um, faith and salvation come from God, not from any sort, any, any winner of any vote or anything like that. Um, I guess basically remembering the human limitations of the system. Um, so that's super helpful one. Uh, and that looks for me personally, like just, being invested in my own spiritual growth, my own spiritual development, making sure that that um, is my foundation and not what I'm seeing in the news. Um, along with that, I think there is a limitation to news. Like you need to be really careful what you are consuming in the sense that if your consumption of media is so upsetting to you that it's causing you to treat other people made in the image of God as less than human or with any sort of unkindness, yeah. then that's a problem. Um, and that's not about the media. That's not about news. That's about uh, me or you as an individual and how we're viewing other people. So constantly reminding myself, no matter what I think about somebody's opinion, they are still Imago Dei. They are still beloved by God. Um, and that's something that happens all the time. I have lots of people in my life who we see things totally different. Um, and I think that's a really important skill and ability to be able to love people even when you disagree. So practically, I think sometimes, sometimes it's not worth talking about stuff. Like if you know you guys disagree sometimes it's not worth it because there are situations where you're just not going to change somebody else's mind and the relationship is way more important than any vote, right? Or any policy. Um, so there are just situations where it's not worth talking about. And, you know, you kind of see jokes about like the holidays, like, oh, no politics, Thanksgiving dinner or whatever. And I think there is some truth and some value to that um, because relationship is always going to be way more important than any sort of policy. Um, additionally, I have a debate background. Like I did debate in high school and I'm uh, coaching it now at Grace Prep. And I think one of the best things that students learn in debate is to see things from other people's perspective. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be persuaded to their perspective, but it's an, a hugely important skill to realize um, that, as Aristotle said, it's the mark of an educated mind to entertain a thought without accepting it. So if I can 
put myself in someone else's shoes and try to understand why they feel the way they do or why they think the way they do. I don't have to agree with it. It does certainly strengthen my own position, but it also helps me to humanize them. So I think that's really the answer to your question is. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think what I'm hearing there is right. It's growing in empathy to some degree, right? To be able to acknowledge that while I don't agree with your position, I understand that there's another human being across the table from me um, or what's usually happening uh, across the keyboard, across the internet. You know, and whatever. I would mention something to you there. I, this is an area where you and I super disagree. I do not believe there is value in having these kinds of conversations in any situation that's not face to face. So, yeah, well, and I, th- I think, you know, to be fully transparent about my own ego and pride, I think there's probably a sinful attitude that sometimes causes me to want to engage uh, not all the time you know like I, I have serious convictions about um certain things that i think are worth engaging on e- even online um but i know sometimes too and i imagine that just about everybody who's any you know ever participated in an online discussion debate etc knows that there's a part of you that feels so self-righteous and that's obviously not a healthy part of me you know that wants to prove somebody wrong and the bottom line is like you're saying it's just not going to happen over the internet you know, you, you've just never seen it. I mean, if you have, then, you know, you you have seen a unicorn of, of where somebody was convinced mm-hmm. of something because of their reading comments on Facebook mm-hmm. and then changing their mind. It's just not the way that our brains work. And so it, it is silly to, to expect that. Um, you know, again, I think there's times where I, that I engage online in, in ways that I think are healthy and respectful and, and establishing, like, you know, this is what I believe or this is, this is what is truth and and this is of God and and I want to stand by that the best I can. Um, But obviously, you know, to your point, there's also times where I engage in a less healthy way and more of a, I want to look smart or I want to, you know, have a smackdown with people. You know, I'm an eight, you Enneagram people. So I like challenging. Um, I just tend to find that invigorating in like a life giving way of let's have a lively debate, you know, let's have a discussion and see ideas uh, stand up to scrutiny, right? Um, I tend to think that um, a good, healthy debate is just one of the most um, honest things that you can do f- with somebody you respect, right? Like if you and I can't have a debate, there's some there's something going on where you know we don't respect each other. You know, I would I would I would argue. Yeah. So, um, but I think I think you're probably right. You know, online it's not the way to be able to have the conversation. Well, it just it dehumanizes the conversation. That's exactly what I was talking about, right? If you're going to talk about policy, you also have to talk about people, and you have to. If you're doing it as a Christian, then it's coming through the framework of Christ, who is loving other people. Mm-hmm. And it's way too easy to see the person you're quote unquote debating with on social media, and it doesn't have to be social media; it could be other forms of. Um, you know, written commentary or conversations. Um, you're not looking at their eyes. You're not seeing them as a person. And so it's so right. easy for your brain to be like, this is an argument that I'm talking to, not a person. Right. Um, right. Most people, I think, would not say, you know, 90% of what they've written in some format to a person's face. Um, we know that's true. Like we've asked, there's studies that indicate like, no, they wouldn't right. talk like that yeah, to another person. Pretty clear there. Yeah. And so um, I just see that as only harmful Um, Mm -hmm. I don't see any potential benefit to having those conversations. And I think it's really important, um, for us as Christians to, to think about like, you know, we, we talk with our students about like, how are you using social media in a positive way? Um, and they'll talk about, well, like, you know, I can post Bible verses that are important to me, or I could talk about what God is doing in my life. And all those things are awesome. And those things are great. But I think we need to ask adults to, um, is your social media usage contributing in, in a loving way to anybody um, when you're having those kind of conversations. And I think most of us, if we were being honest with ourselves, would find that they're not. Right. That's definitely true. And I, I think a lot of that, and this is a tangent for another day, uh, there's a, a great many hours of podcasting that could be done and has been done on social media and, and its problems, right? For all of the good things that have come out of uh, being in a globally connected world, um, you know, we have, we know, like Facebook, Instagram, all these popular social media sites. I mean, Facebook gives us more of what we click on, right? So if you are more prone to reading um, Fox News and other conservative-leaning news sources, um, you get conservative-leaning sources that pop up on your news feed more. Uh, there's an algorithm that um, is constantly looking for clicks, right? Because that's how they generate revenue is uh, through ads and everything else. And so they want you to click on more things. And so they, the, the AI of those systems 
curate your news feed, whatever your thought process is, even if you consider yourself like me to be largely apolitical, my news feed is being curated by what I click on. So if that's about video games or football or what have you, right? And so I think, you know, again, we could get on a real rabbit trail thinking about all the ways in which um, our engagement with, with politics is so fueled by things like Facebook that are um, controlling what we see and feeding us things that just reinforce uh, our viewpoint. Do you have a recommendation for a problem like that? Yes, you found something recently on this topic. Yes, so again, I'm I'm, uh, teaching debate with my students and they need to be updated on current events. They need to know what's going on in the world. One of the events that we participate includes, uh, this is just a side note because it's so fun, but they get a topic and they have 30 minutes to prepare a seven minute speech on it um, and they can use whatever resources we've accumulated as a team so it's a really great way for them to stay updated with current events um, it teaches them to form opinions that are well-founded um, and it's a great speaking opportunity as well but um, the problem I was running into was exactly what you're talking about of, of struggling to find resources for them um, that I felt like would give them a comprehensive overview of what's going on in the world, whether that's domestic or international um, events, things like that. Um, I did ask them on a side note, uh, and so these are high schoolers at Grace Preparatory, um, asked them, like, where do you guys get your news? Like, is it coming from social media? And they were like, we don't really get any news. Like, we don't. And I was like, okay, that's probably true of most of your generation. They're just not... um, yeah. plugged it they're not they're not actively pursuing current events right um so this app that was recommended to me that i have really enjoyed using with them is called all sides and it gives you like a current event happening so afghanistan is going on when we're recording this um on september 7th um so it'll give you like here's something that's happened in afghanistan and it'll give you three articles one from each side of the political perspective or spectrum and one um that's kind of dead center and so you're you're getting three different perspectives um that are all you know, well-researched and well-informed, um, but it, I think it really contributes to helping you have a well-rounded opinion of what's going on um, in whatever the current event topic is. So, you know, there's right now there's articles on there about Hurricane Ida and things like that. Some yeah. things obviously have less slant than others. Sure. Um, but I talk with my students about, let's make sure like you're not just reading um, one perspective because mm-hmm. it's important to mm-hmm. have all those different opinions. Yeah, well, especially because, you know, we're, we're pretty much past the world of... G- I don't know if we ever lived in this world where just facts are being reported, right? Because we get the 24-hour news cycle, because we have instant access to pretty much every corner of the world, we're constantly being fed not just what's happening, but people's opinions on it, why it's happening, whether it's good or bad. Um, and, and so that that's, again, to, to lean into this reality that we live in, uh, this kind of postmodern world of... Um, there's not just what's objectively true that's happening in Afghanistan, for example. Um, it's also, it's people's opinions about it and commentary. And, and, you know, so you have to read sources from different angles to figure out, okay, what's really going on. And, and, and that's for all of us, uh, just a reminder that we have to read from multiple sources to get a well-balanced view well, and just that you have to read again, like my kids were not consuming any media at all. They're, they're not finding out what's going on in the world around them. And I think that kind of goes back to our conversation about what's the obligation of a Christian. Um, because I don't think that like, you know, I don't expect all my students to be a hundred percent, you know, knowing what's happening in the world. But, um, if they and I want to be Christ followers and want to be making a positive impact on the world, we have to know what's happening in the world. Um, again, local or international. Um, so I think there is, you know, again, an obligation for the Christian to be at least, you know, familiar with current events. Um, because we live in this world, we are contributing to what's going on Mm -hmm. in one way or another. Um, some people would argue that silence on a topic is as powerful as, you know, as the opposite. So, yeah, that's that's an interesting opinion. I, I I don't exercise this as often as I should, but in principle, I tend to believe that silence on a topic uh, certainly there's there's some privilege that we get to be silent on a lot of topics because it doesn't affect us, right? Um, as heartbreaking as it is to imagine what's happening to so many in Afghanistan right now, um, part of my privilege is. I live in America, not Afghanistan, so I don't really have to deal with that. Uh, obviously, I want to participate in praying for those people, but um, there's not a whole lot that I can do from from where I sit. Um, and so I, th- there's something about just keeping silent on a topic um, 
that I think in, in principle could just communicate the humility of, I don't know what's happening. I don't know why it's happening. I don't, I don't, I wasn't behind the closed doors when um, the president and his team of uh, joint chiefs and staff members and everybody else said, okay, we're going to, you know, pull out of the country and here's the strategy. Like, I don't know, you know? And so when somebody makes a comment about Afghanistan and good or bad, this, that, and the other, uh, in some ways I think silence just is, is being honest about the fact I don't have hardly any knowledge about what's going on sure, sure. and neither do you. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think the hard part is, uh, people, um, we have a tendency to assume that issues are more simple and understandable than they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't understand what I understand, then you must be wrong and you must be the enemy and mm-hmm. you're just so stupid for not seeing what's so clear. And I guess my thing is what makes you think you understand foreign policy or how to balance a trillion dollar budget sure, or, you know yeah. like you know people are like oh it's just not that hard like just don't spend more money than you have and i'm like that makes a lot of sense for you know middle class folks who are dealing in five figures or low six fi- you know that's way different if you're running the biggest country of, of all time yeah, no, <laughs> you I, know it's complex yeah. it's complex right that's i think ultimately just all i'm saying there is it's such a complex issue that um just to keep quiet and not participate in a way is just saying like I, I I don't have anything to contribute here. I'm so low on the totem pole. I mean, I don't, sure, I don't know yeah. what's going on. Well, and I, I, that point is well taken, and I certainly think humility is a really important part of political participation as a Christian because um, you're, you're completely correct in that there's so many issues that are so complex. That's why I think it's maybe more helpful to think of it on a macro scale, right? So, like, mm. when I show up to vote, um, I'm not, you know, Googling those guys who guys or gals who I'm voting on, like, the morning of, right? It's a long-term process of what do I believe? Why do I believe that? Mm -hmm. What's the evidence that backs up that position? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'm ready to go participate in the political system, Um, whether that be voting, whether that be if you, you know, are participating in campaigns, things like that, which is why, you know, kind of looping back to social media, I think social media is so uh, problematic because it's so easy to just instantly share something um, that right. you haven't really yeah, you, you liked know. that headline because right. it agreed with what you thought so you right. shared it yeah it's just so it. immediate whereas yeah. if you're taking your participation in the political system seriously you are hopefully um, spending a lot of time in prayer and reading and researching and talking to other people and getting their opinion um, it shouldn't be a you know a procrastinated last minute decision. Yeah, that, that's definitely a great point. And, and I think that's an, another area that I, I think is really important to, to consider for, for those of us. Um, and I imagine it's the majority of, of Christians, at least that I know that want to participate in the political system uh, and have strong convictions to do so it, on the topic of research, you know, having not been in college too long ago. Uh, and of course you're in grad school right now. Uh, the topic of, of research, right. Especially in this COVID era where, you know, somebody online will say, uh, or somebody in person will say, well, I've, I've done the research and masks don't work, for example, you know, um, and it's like, okay, well, when somebody says research, what do they mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, when, when you've researched a candidate, um, you know, what does that mean to you to, to, to do research? Right. Cause what most people, it seems do when they say I've researched blah, blah, blah. Um, they Googled something and they yeah. read two articles tops. Right. You know, so when you say I've researched the issues, like um, just describe that process for you in the way that you go about um, your life and, and, and being true to those convictions as it relates to political engagement. Research for you looks like. Sure. What? Yeah. Well, and I should definitely say, like, you know, I'm talking big game here, but I'm not by any means the expert here. Um, sure. And there are certainly seasons in my life where this looks very different, like when I was having a baby last year and I was like, I don't have time to. To research this stuff, right. um, which maybe is a reason to not participate for a while if you're in a season of your life where you can't be making a, a prayerful and intentional decision. Um, but there are tons of resources out there. And Google, we give Google a bad name. Like Google is just a search engine, right? Like it's just giving you access to resources. So yeah, I think I was uh, more thinking... importantly is, is to ask like, what are you Googling, right? Like are you right. are you looking right. for... That's my point. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so... if you, yeah. If you search, why don't masks help sp- uh, prevent spread? Right. Or right. Uh, or you Google, show me the data that says vaccines cause autism. Right. Even right. though that's been wildly discredited. Yeah. 
you could find potentially something. So if you're searching for something that proves the point or the view that you already hold, mm-hmm. you can find evidence right. because to your point, it's just a search engine, yeah. right? Um, psychologist Jonathan Haidt, are you familiar with the elephant and the rider metaphor? I don't think so. So I think this is a really important conversation. So Jonathan Haidt, uh, modern psychologist, and, and he uses this metaphor of the elephant and the rider. And he talks about for human beings, we have uh, our emotional side it tends to be more intuitive is like an elephant and we have our analytical side of our brain which is like a rider sitting atop the elephant oh right? rider with an r rider I'm yes hearing sorry w. rider yeah. like mm-hmm. somebody who is riding this elephant right the reality is that elephant is taking us somewhere and the rider takes credit for it does it make sense that the elephant is going to go the way the elephant is and that rider is going to say, well, I've, I've steered the elephant this way. But there's nothing about the rider. I mean, he, obviously you can you know, steer an elephant or try and train an elephant. But the point is there's a much larger force at work in our brains that we don't necessarily have total control over all the time, which is to say our emotions might intuit a particular belief or assumption about something. And so... You know, we might intuitively believe X, Y, Z, and then our rational side of our mm-hmm. brain comes mm-hmm. along and yeah. goes, well, obviously that's the correct answer because blah, 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 right? And so we start with Googling, mm-hmm. why is my belief correct, <laughs> rather yeah. than a more neutral right. style of, of research. Yeah. Right. So I mostly agree with your metaphor. Well, there's holes in every metaphor yeah, breaks It's just so fatalist, point. right? Because it's, then it's like, well, does anybody actually like have any independent thought of their own? Like, or is, and I think well, the answer has to be yes, like at some yeah, point. Yeah, undoubtedly. Um, the metaphor breaks down for sure. But it, it's just to acknowledge that, um, you know, it's, and uh, uh, theologians have made the same point. You know, Randy Harris talks about um, most people start with their viewpoint and then they look for the Bible verse that affirms it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same idea, right? Mm-hmm. Is rather than you, we're, we're not very good. Human beings are not very good at being able to try and zoom out and objectively look mm-hmm. at a bunch of data and then come to a conclusion. Typically right. we start with a conclusion. We have an intuition about what is correct or what is best policy or what mm-hmm. have you. And then we search out evidence to back that up. Yeah. So, so I guess kind of back to the original question on that topic is, um, do you have any tips or tricks or things that you do to try and um, fight against that mm-hmm. tendency we have to just believe what we believe and just look at the data that supports our viewpoint? Yeah. So I keep coming back to debate, beca- probably because that's what I did this morning, um, was uh, thinking, preparing, helping my students prepare for our upcoming debate. Um, and what I think is so great about debate and what I've drawn from it, and I tell people all the time, like doing high school debate was the most academically impactful experience I had and really shaped my thinking um and again I tell because my my students were asking can we just choose one side and just argue that and I was like no not with competitive debate you have to be able to argue both sides and so what I was doing today was helping them write cases about the same topic from two totally different sides and showing them look there are good reasons for each of these sides one of these sides is right and wrong um just objectively like a, a single statement can't be both not true and not true um but there is good reason to think about both sides. So the, the act of defending both sides can actually be really helpful. So for me, I try to um, accumulate arguments on both sides and then do what in debate we call weighing, which is where you're looking at them and you're saying, maybe both of these statements are true, um, but I'm going to weigh them through the lens of my faith, right? And so I'm going to, that's when, that's a huge part of when faith comes yeah. in for me. Um, that's, that's an important skill. Yeah, is, is. It's what gets, th- these might, there might be truth to both of these things there is data that supports both positions but what does christ's love give more weight exactly to? yes yeah, yeah that's good yeah so um i mean sometimes in my life that's looked like just you know word documents that i've had things like that but i try to make sure that i'm using um just reliable good resources um again multiple perspectives talking to other people is usually valuable but i think um i tell my students all the time if you can argue your opponent's case for them, then you are much better at your own case because you can fully understand both sides. Um, so I do think that is po- uh, important. And again, it goes back to that humanizing. If I can understand why somebody who disagrees with me thinks the way they do, it's a lot easier to see them as a person and not as you know an enemy. Um, so yeah, so just like trying to find resources and prayerfully consider and weigh both sides of an argument um, is super helpful. 
Yeah, I, I think that's invaluable. You know, back to Randy, who um, influenced my development as a, as a person and as a Christ follower and as a minister as well, obviously. Um, you know, one of the things he says that's very similar to what you're saying is on the topic of evangelism, he um, essentially argues that if you are not capable of putting into words what it would take for you to abandon your Christian faith, uh, you are not ready to do evangelism because you are, if you, for example, if you were trying to convince a, a Muslim person to convert to Christianity, you are asking them to do that very same thing, right? Mm-hmm. To abandon the faith of their childhood, for example. Um, and if you're not capable of articulating what would have to be true or what would have to happen for you to be convinced that the faith of your upbringing was totally wrong, um, then you haven't thought through it yet, which I think is, is similar to what you're saying, right? To be able to articulate both sides, to be able to see the validity of what another person is saying, even if I don't buy it, right? And and that's um, that seems so valuable, but it's such a under-practiced skill, <laughs> right? Right, well, because a lot of it, exactly to your point earlier, a lot of it feels very emotional, especially if it's a deeply oh, held yeah, conviction deeply that you've had right. for a long time. Um, I think our family of origin hugely influences this. A lot of us mm-hmm. um, believe what we believe politically because that's what our families believed. Right. And that doesn't mean that's a bad thing. It just means that we have to be aware of our own personal bias and aware that, ooh, like this is the way I was raised, so this is how it affects me. And you can still come to the conclusion that you still hold that opinion to be valid and true. Um, but that's another part of, of teaching, right, is I want my students to have their opinion not just because their parents told them, but because they really believe it's true because of exactly what you're talking about, especially thinking about high school students. And this affects their political, you know, activity. This affects their faith. If their faith is built on what they've been told by other people, the first time people are asking them questions about what they believe, it's going to crumble. And so they, they need to be able to defend their faith or their political beliefs, um, with the certainty that it's a conclusion that they've come to on their own. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. How do you, I'm thinking about, uh, it's a Winston Churchill quote, uh, if memory serves. And I want to say it was post-World War II. Uh, I don't know if the timing really matters, but he essentially says, the greatest argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah. that informs yeah. a little bit of what we're talking about is kind of this sense of um, there's so much ignorance that I want to acknowledge in my own mind as somebody that really tries to dig down into the issues, yeah. be they theological, political, et cetera. Um, I've been trained to be a thinker to some degree um, in ministry, and I still know there's so many gaps in my knowledge. Um, so, again, as somebody who is just like, man, I just don't know about you know participating and in, in by voting and everything like that, uh, because it seems like even as somebody who considers themselves fairly well-informed, a fairly good thinker, um, and, and everything else, I still feel like, man, there's so much I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, is it just your conviction that we still ought to give it our best go at it, even if we uh, have all these gaps? Yeah. So I, that is a funny one's in Churchill quote, and there's all sorts of videos that you can pull up where you're like asking people like basic things about like the bill of rights and they they don't know right. yeah like, like that. how many people don't so even that know is, the you know yeah. bill of rights is the first 10 amendments of the constitution and or even like, like more specifically just their own rights that they have things like that um right. but all that to say it is humorous and, and at the same time a little scary but um i would compare it a little bit to parenting you and i became parents last year mm-hmm. uh would you say that you know everything there is to know about parenting and you're a master dad no of course not so does that mean you're not going to participate in parenting uh no but i uh chose to become a parent and I'm uh, both legally and morally obliged to parent him. And also you love him, right? So that's, that's part of it. But (laughs) yeah, that uh, I guess should go without saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the the metaphor, obviously, as you said, all metaphors have holes, but um, just because you, a system is not perfect or just because you don't know everything there is to know about the system is not necessarily a convincing enough or compelling enough reason for me to not participate because I agree. I don't know everything there is to know about parenting. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm constantly trying to learn. I read a lot of books. I talk to other moms and dads and people who have experience and try to be better. And of course, um, my faith is the foundation of my parenting too, right? Like I'm constantly going before the Lord and saying, what am I supposed to do with this kid? He's only 18 months old, but, um, 
So all that to say, just because the system is flawed and just because I don't know what I'm doing doesn't mean I don't participate in it. Obviously, okay. parenting and voting are very different because, um, like, if we don't take care of Deacon, that has a much bigger outcome than me yeah, not sure, voting. Sure. Um, but some of the same premise applies in that a flawed system maybe still justifies participation because of the ultimate outcome, which is the potential to positively impact people in the name of Christ and to improve life yeah. for people who need it. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, you know, we've had smatterings of this conversation throughout uh, our relationship. And so it's interesting to kind of hear it all, all at once. Um, let's kind of wrap up with a little bit of rapid fire. I've got a, a kind of a few things in my brain that I want to just throw at you. Um, as, as again, we sit on different sides of, of this uh, view. Um, so current political climate this system that we find ourselves in as American citizens um, for you as a person of f faith that wants to participate in the political system. Um, what thing, like, is there anything that's like too far for you where you're like, ah, that doesn't seem like worth my time or ineffective uh, such as like protests. Would you ever be involved in a protest? Mm, good question. Um, Again, this is designed to be rapid fire. Oh, rapid so give fire. me like a 30 Would I ever, whatever, be involved or not be like, involved? Like, be involved. Like, is there something you would see, um, is there something that could be happening politically that you would say is is my conviction as a Christian that I should go and protest? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Are you comfortable giving an example or should we still steer clear? I think it would probably be too polarizing, but I think okay. like... But like there is something that could yeah. happen that you would feel like it is my responsibility as a Christian person to protest this. Sure. Okay. I think that also brings up the question of whether or not protests are an effective form of political participation, but... Um, yeah, that's probably a separate conversation. But yeah, in terms but. of my own personal conviction, yeah, there's stuff that I would say, yeah, like I'm going to I'm gonna participate in actively yeah. protesting. Let's kind of zoom out from current context and put Jesus and... Christ followers into different contexts as far as it relates to political involvement we've been talking about democracy what do you think the Christian ethic is as it relates to political involvement in a 17th century monarchy the Christian ethic um, yeah like so what, what does it mean to be politically involved uh, if you're a British citizen under King George. Well, so you would also have to be a white male landowning British citizen as well to have any sort of political voice in that era. So if you're talking about that demographic specifically, then I would argue that people with power um, have a responsibility to do the most good they can with it. Um, and so okay. in that kind of context, obviously that's going to look very different than being able to vote today. But I would hope um, that in that kind of context, somebody with power is using it to help the poor and the marginalized, the people mm -hmm. who are oppressed, mm -hmm. um, which would include a, most of humanity at the time. Yeah. So. Back it up 800 years. Uh, time of the Vikings. <laughs> and we're living in like small hamlets with tribes of people. Um, war, obviously, is a super common thing. Um, power is taken through violence. What do you think is the... Christian response, you know, for an Anglo-Saxon Christian living in England. Uh, well, so it's Danes not invading. to take up your weapons and go on a crusade to another country. That's definitely not the role of political power, which is what happened historically. Jesus doesn't authorize um, mass killings, killings no. of no. people just because they're of a different Pretty confident faith. about that one. Yeah, um, I think we could say that's really clear. Again, I think the best way to summarize my ethic is that if is that power should be used to help people as much as possible. And so whatever your power looks like in a situation, what can you do to benefit other people? So, yeah. Again, and again, like the farther back in time you go, that power is consolidated in fewer and fewer hands. But right. Well, and um, again, I think back to what we said earlier, that's, that's the whole point of why you don't have scripture commenting on what it means to be politically involved or not is because if you ask Jesus in the first century, Jesus, do you think we should vote or not? He would be like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. What is voting? Like, <laughs> But what you do yeah. have is examples of discourse, right? Like Paul before the Sanhedrin, which I know is not exactly yeah, sure. the same as... Debates right, like there, there is a biblical, or a biblical example of standing up for what you believe is right. Um, and of course, with Jesus always, Jesus uses literally his power to improve life for people. Yeah, and that's fair. And I think our Christian ethic is to use, like you're saying, it's to use power for the sake of other people. 
and, and, and raising up the marginalized and looking after the lost as clearly demonstrated all throughout scripture. Um, and just again, where, where we end up landing is I think, uh, as a thoroughgoing, you know, amateur postmodern philosopher, uh, it seems like political power always gets used just to retain power for the people in power. And even though we have the best system arguably that we've ever had, um, it just seems like political power ends up not being used like power that Jesus uses. I would push um, back against that because you personally, Chris, are a person, yeah. you're always getting onto me for using absolutes like always. And I would say that you can't say that it's always because there are situations where people's lives are improved by policy. That's fair. That's fair. And I accept that. And, you know, N.T. Wright offers the counter, you know, surely you don't want no Christians in government. And I think I hear that and I agree. I just still end up with the conviction of, uh, you know, I think about like China, for example, where it's, as far as I understand, uh, largely illegal to be a Christian, at least frowned upon, um, sometimes persecuted more directly than, than less. Um, and, and the church is flourishing and doing just fine. So it's, it's this balance of clearly the kingdom of God can advance regardless of the political situation and even advances more prominently when in a very low political power situation. But at the same time, that is not human flourishing, which I think God cares about. Uh, I think if you read the laws of God, God clearly cares about humans having the opportunity to flourish. And if they're being oppressed, they're not able to flourish in, in all the ways that they could. So, uh, again, I see the balance, um, but I appreciate that there's there's two perspectives, and I appreciate that you, you challenged my viewpoint on this. Well, and I think ultimately, too, again, if you're what we said at the beginning, right, if your faith is the primary lens through which you're looking at these kind of conversations, there's a certain amount of we can afford to mess it up because God doesn't expect us to, like, have all the answers and do everything perfectly. He's just asking us to do the best we can and to do it through prayer and through conversation with him and with other Christians. And so right. um, there's, to me, there's a certain amount of uh, relief in that. That's like, even mm-hmm. if I check the it wrong box, I'm not responsible yeah. for the destruction of all that is good in the world. Right. right. Like, yeah. So there's, yeah, we should there, be able to let go. Enough. Our own limitations are also our saving grace as well. Yeah. So. I think that's definitely a very scriptural attitude to have. Um, well, Hey, in conclusion, I just want to say thank you for taking an hour out of your off day to talk with me and to create this episode. Um, I think I just wanted to leave with, uh, the reminder from, uh, the later chapters of Romans. I, I, I think, I, I think about Paul talking to people about meat and vegetables and talking about people who consider one day more holy than the other. Um, and he says, you know, why are you tripping each other up about that? You know, to your own master, will you rise and fall? Right. So, so whatever your convictions on the uh, debatable topics, like should you be involved in politics or not as a Christ follower, um, whatever conviction you hold, do it in the name of the love of Jesus. Um, examine yourself critically um, and, and come to the conclusions you will come to. And like Sarah said, um, just trust that. Uh, it's not ultimately up to you <laughs> regardless, right? And uh, that in our weakness, there is uh, grace. And, and that's ultimately what we're relying on as people of faith anyway, is that we are wholly insufficient on our own. So again, thank you, dear, for having yeah. this conversation. And listeners for being with us for episode nine. We look forward to uh, creating more content and having good conversations. So we'll see you next time.